Well, just to say that over the last couple of weeks, I've had the privilege of speaking in the evening and we began um, a series and we hopefully will, I think we'll conclude it this morning, on the armour of God from Ephesians chapter 6. Pastor Colin read from the beginning of Ephesians and so I'm going to read now from Ephesians 6 where Paul talks about wearing the armour of God. So I'm going to read, um, not the full reading that we've had other weeks, I'd like to read from verse 13 of Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on the full armour of God. Again, I'm going to stop. It's the full armour of God. I have to say this because I may forget. It's the full armour of God. You can't pick and choose. You know, I had a choice. Do I wear brown shoes or black shoes? There's no choice here. We have to put on the full armour of God. So you might think, well, I don't fancy the, the belt of truth. Sorry, I don't fancy the helmet of salvation might mess up my hair. It's always a worry for me. You know, we've got no choice. Paul said, put on the full armour of God. I need to really emphasise that. So that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And this is where we're looking this morning. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Thank you. I need to pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you this morning for your word, which is declared here to be the sword of the Spirit. We pray that very same sword of the Spirit might be evident in our lives and in our communities during these days. We thank you, Lord, for the, the God, the Holy Spirit, who not only inspired this book, but can inspire the speaker and hearers alike this morning. So Lord, we return to your word and ask that it will bear much fruit to your praise and glory. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, we're coming to the last pieces of the armour of God. We're looking in verse 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation. Very important this, if you were a Roman soldier, you would have to wear a helmet. Now I understand there's no doubt different helmets for different things, but basically it was a leather helmet that would have pieces of metal tied to it, and it would be very much for the protection of the head. In fact, no soldier, no Roman soldier would ever go into battle without his helmet. It was made of leather with patches of metal for protection, the head from arrows, and obviously from blows from a sword. And so Paul, again, is using this picture. Again, some commentators say that there was a Roman soldier guarding him. He's now writing this letter from imprisonment and house arrest, we believe, and he's maybe looking at a Roman soldier, seeing what he's wearing and applying that. Well, even if that soldier was with him, the house arrest, wasn't there? Everybody who lived in those days would have known what a Roman soldier looked like. They were everywhere. They were the occupying army. And so wherever you'd think about in the, in the Europe or in minor Asia, Rome was the predominant force and people would have been familiar with this. Of course, the difference between the the Roman soldier, the Roman soldier would be in a legion and they would go out and conquer. We find here that we're talking about defensive. Paul says, and having done all, take your stand. A standing in a place where you cannot be moved. 
You see, in one sense and in the truest sense, there are no more victories for us because Christ has been victorious over death and over hell. So he is the victor. So we have to take our stand in his victory. But in saying that, we're obviously, because we need armour, we know there is enemy activity who will seek to bring your Christian life to an end, bring this church to an end, bring our Elam movement to an end if he had his way. And so this is important. And Paul turns around and he says they're taking the helmet of salvation. Now, this doesn't mean becoming a Christian. He's talking to people who are already Christians. And he's saying part of our defence against the enemy is that we understand the matter of salvation. Scripture speaks a lot about the renewing of the mind. And you know that so many of the battles we face are in our mental processes and how this world that we are living in can affect us. So Paul is saying, put on the helmet of salvation, not that become a Christian, but those of us who are a Christian. One of the great truths that will keep us safe when the enemy attacks is to have what we would know as having an assurance of salvation. I mentioned again that sometimes it took me a while to come to a place where I had a full assurance of salvation. I knew I was a Christian, I knew I'd given Christ my life. That wasn't ever in any doubt after my conversion. But it took me a while to be able to say, I knew I was going to heaven. I thought that sounded so presumptuous. I'd come from a home where if you were good enough, you might get into heaven. Fine. That I rule, I knew straight away, that's me out. You know, I knew I wouldn't be good enough. I, I, I knew how bad I was without the Holy Spirit's help. But of course, that wasn't conviction, that's a work of the Spirit. And it took me a while to actually be able to say, I'm going to heaven without thinking I'm being presumptuous. I'm making myself more special than other people. Far from it. And then it dawned on me one day, and I think I can remember where the conversation took place, and I won't mention where, it would be just a distraction. But I remember a Christian friend, I think it was a chap called Alan, said to me, do you know that when you refuse probably not the right word, when you don't declare that you know you're going to heaven, you're somehow taking away from what Christ did on the cross. That was it. I got it. I did that step where I'd finally got free from what I was doing, how good I was, what, you know, to realise that even on my best day, I'm still not good enough to be saved. Do you know I wasn't worth saving back in 1964 and I'm still not worth saving now? And I'm almost perfect. No, that was a joke, by the way. Um, you know, far from it. And so Paul's saying, when you're going to take your stand, put salvation on. So that when the enemy says to you, you're the worst Christian in Britain, don't argue with him. Say, well, I might be, I might not be, but it doesn't matter. Christ died for me. Or when you fail and you've not prayed enough and he will use condemnation. You know, when it's the Holy Spirit, you'll be convicted to do better. You know when it's the enemy because you'll be condemned and you'll feel worse. And he will come and condemn us. And he'll say, you're not good enough. You're not this, you're not that, you're not that. And a lot of it is probably true. But the point is this. The point isn't how good Gordon Neal is. The point is how powerful Jesus Christ is. That his death on the cross took our sins, my sins, and he took my place. And for me to deny that, and not to stand firm in it. And when the enemy comes and starts to have a go, I say, well, look, look, don't argue with me. Talk to God. He declared me saved. 
He declared me righteous. He declared me to be justified by faith. And so when we face spiritual warfare, um, we need to realize that, that we're standing on the shoes, we've got the armor, we've got the belt of truth, except we've got the shield. But on our heads, this matter of salvation, it's not up for debate. We are saved in that way. Now, Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says there, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Well, this is basically what he's saying. He took his stand and now he's coming to the end of his life. He's able to say this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And what was the faith? Was it his teaching on the second coming? Was it his revelation of the communion service? All vital, all important. No, the faith, I believe, was this, that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Son of God, who died on the cross, rose again for our sins, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He kept the faith. No matter what other people were saying, that was the truth. And that's the truth that will take us through and will save us. Salvation protects us from the enemy's activities, whether it's by sword or by arrow. He is there protecting us. Jeremiah preached when people wouldn't listen. Job was stripped of everything but kept his faith. And, you know, Luke 18.1 says there, um, disciples should always pray and not give up. And Isaiah 40.29, he gives strength to the weary. Are you listening? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. So our salvation will affect all of our lives, all of our situations. It's so important. Romans 12, 2 says, by the renewing of our minds. And so salvation protects our minds. Doesn't mean to say that I never have a thought that is unworthy of the Lord. <laughs> of course not. Sometimes driving on the M1, you can have a few thoughts when people are there driving, and maybe they've had a few about my driving, I hope not. But listen, friends, but that's not the issue. My issue, mind is being renewed. It's being transferred. You know, it says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind. Be at one mind, live in peace. It says in 2 Corinthians 2. So the mind is a vital part of our, having a positive attitude. Now listen, this isn't mind over matter. I'm not talking about having a positive attitude. I'm not an, a motivational speaker. I'm just someone that believes that what this book says works. And if I have the armour of God on, I know that my Christian life will succeed. Yes, because I'm standing, I nearly said on redemption ground, which is an old hymn, but I'm standing in Christ. I'm standing in his truth and his mercy. So, just as a Roman soldier would not go to battle or leave home probably without his helmet, so we as Christians should not also. So we've had the um, armour. We've had the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We've had the shoes uh, of the gospel. And we've also had the shield of faith. And now we've had the helmet of salvation. Now, each of those items were defensive. They were there so that the soldier when the fiery darts, I think it says darts in the AV, and in the NIV it says arrows. Either way, you don't want them in your direction. You certainly don't want them to penetrate your body in any way. So the armour was all protective. No armour at the back, 
God doesn't expect us to turn and run. He expects us to stand our ground and not move. Very, very important in that way. But now things change. Having given us a list of defensive armor, Paul now speaks about offensive. There's something in our attire that is offensive, not offensive in the sense it's, uh, but one for attack rather than defense. So it's take up the helmet of salvation, right? I've taken it up, I've put it on. Then he said about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And um, many of you will know that Pastor Colin has a whole series of teachings on the sword of the spirit. Very important, no doubt, inspired the title from this portion of scripture. Again, online, they're available there for you if you wish to follow that through. But now we're not defending, you know, shield, helmet, which is all to defense. God says there has to be an element of you taking part in this process. Now, he's not expecting us to march, you know, you know, we talk about taking the nation, we talk about taking the city, we talk, and they're all good terminology. But in the context of this portion of Scripture, we have to stand. And God doesn't expect us to stand there and just take it. He doesn't expect Christians just to be a punch bag, so the arrows come over and they bounce off us. Well, he, hopefully they will bounce off us, that's why we have the armour. But he gives us a tool, he gives us a weapon that we can use in those situations. And it's very simply, it's called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is a great balance here, a great balance. We have the sword of the Spirit, so we have the Holy Spirit's recognition, and we have the sword of the, which is the Word of God. So we have there the Holy Spirit, if I may reverently say here, and we have the Word of God here, in complete unison vital word and spirit. There have been conferences taking place. I believe Dr. R.T. Kendall has been involved in conferences called Word and Spirit Conferences. I've met people who have said to me, oh, I'm not into the spirit things, you know, prophecy, speaking in tongues. No, 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 I'm, not, I'm, I, I'm, I'm into the Bible, I'm into truth. Well, I've got to say to them, uh, they're wrong. You haven't got a choice. And I've met others who say, well, I'm not into Bible study. The Holy Spirit gives me revelation. Now, normally, they tend to be strange people. Um, not there's any strange people here. No, we're Scott. No, there's no strange people here. You know, they don't, that, we haven't got a choice. I can't say that. As I've got older, I think my emphasis turned more to teaching and than maybe things of the Holy Spirit. I was quite involved in that at one stage. Not a decision, just as it happened, but I've got no choice. I can't say, oh, I'm a, I, I, you know, I, I'm a preacher. I don't pray with people. No more can I say, well, I don't preach. I just pray with people. Word and spirit come together. We need both because the sword is not my sword. It's his sword. It's the sword of the spirit. So I have to come to God and say, Lord, can I have your sword, please? So there you are, Gordon, sword of the spirit. And it's a short sword. It's the same sword in the Greek word that was used to cut off the high priest's ear when Jesus was arrested. So it's a short stabbing sword. It's not a long, broad sword that might be swung over the head. It's a short, sharp stabbing sword. 
that we go forward, again, to defend the ground. So here I am, standing here, I've got my armour on, the enemy comes, I go, I'm doing that. I'm repelling him with the word of God, which is obviously the sword of the Spirit. Psalm 19 verse 7 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect. Please, at no time I have have I ever said, and I don't think anyone from this pulpit's ever said it either, if I know that our preaching is perfect. No, no. There may be times I've, through lack of knowledge, I've misquote or I don't understand the context or the Greek. And when I've been made aware of it, I've tried to correct it. But so it's not the word of God that is perfect or word of Kensington Temple is perfect or the, the, the word of the Elam churches is perfect. Far from it. Wherever the human element comes in, there is always that part where we need to check it out. But I'll tell you this, the law of the Lord is perfect. His word is perfect. That's why I think we need to be very cautious when we apply the saying, well, I've got a word of the Lord for you. I'd be a bit cautious about that personally because the word of the Lord is perfect. And I would be a little reluctant to associate my name with that and say, I think maybe God might be saying this. Or maybe you'd like to pray about that. Or maybe you'd like to look at these scriptures are far different from applying your name to that. But that's just a little bee in my bonnet that comes out every so often. And so the law of the Lord is perfect. So when we use God's word as a sword, we know it's a perfect word. The Bible, the scripture is complete, Revelation 22. That the word of God brings salvation. We are told that in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. So we've got your word is perfect. Your word is truth. No wonder it is a weapon in that way. And we take our stand. And when we, coming back almost to the helmet of salvation, it says, and I'm coming back to that if I may, it says about there, they overcame him by the word of their testimony. Your testimony is a powerful weapon. You say, well, God, my testimony is not very exciting. I, I went to Sunday school, then I joined the Scouts. And then after the Scouts, I went to university. And then, you know, I came home every time and I behaved myself. And really, I, it's just a very, I'm just gave my life to you. Listen, let me tell you this. If you have been a good person and you got, when I say not perfect, and got saved. That testimony is as powerful as if a gangster got saved. There's no such thing as a good testimony or a bad testimony. Some are a bit more dramatic than others. But let me tell you what, the power of a testimony is not what you did before you were saved. It's what God has done for you. Now you are saved. And you say, well, I can't, my testimony is not very good. I, I, you know, I was brought up in church. Please, naughty. Your testimony is as valuable as anyone else's because your testimony isn't about what you've done. You testify to what God has done. Do I want to talk about what I did before I was a Christian? Oh, that's good. Am I, am I going to tell you what I did before I was a Christian? Absolutely boring. What I did before I was, it wasn't boring when I was doing it, but it's boring now, I tell you. You know, what's exciting, what God is doing in my life now. So a word of our testimony. So we can do that. Revelation said they overcame him. Who the enemy? Give your testimony to them. Say, oh, the devils have no real go. Well, give him your testimony. You know, why not? Because it is a weapon for us. Thank you for letting me.
come back a little bit. In Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, the good news, the word of God. It's the power of God unto salvation. And so you and I, we need to rediscover, if we haven't, the power of this book. Do you know, if I had a challenge of faith in any way, do you know the last thing that would leave me would be this book? I, I read it, I've preached it for a little bit now, and I've, I sort of know my way about it a little bit. But let me tell you what, this Word of God is amazing. And you need to have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God as part of your life. You wouldn't leave home without cleaning your teeth. You wouldn't leave home without combing your hair, although I might. But, you know, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go home without, come out of the house without just maybe checking what you look like in the mirror, you know? And the same way, we can't journey anywhere without the Word of God. Don't feel you've got to read huge chunks of the Bible. Have a daily intake. You know, um, it's important that it's part of your life because God can speak to you. You know, when you pray, very simple this, forgive me, you're talking to God. When you read the Bible, God's talking to you. You say, well, I've been reading the Bible for years and God's never spoken to me. Excuse me? Every time you read his word, he's speaking to you. Now, he may not be, he may not be high, but he will highlight something to you. Someone said to me um, between the services that um, there was something that was said in the first service they thought might be a word for God for them. Well, that doesn't happen every day, you know, um, but it happens. But if you're not reading your Bible, how can it happen? How can we possibly do that without reading Scripture. Coming to Hebrews 4.12, quite a long verse. And if I have an opportunity, I'd love to take this just for a whole message. The Word of God is living, right? That's all, your Bible, it's living. One story, I have to be careful on the time because Pastor Lyndon Bowring will be timing me. I remember my pastor whose name was George Rutherford, I want to honour him, he used to tell a story, he was from the northeast of England, how he would do open-air services and he used to wear a sort of a trilby hat. And he said that he'd put his Bible on the street and he'd put his hat on it and he'd shout out, it's living, it's living. And people used to gather around wondering what it was. Was it a little animal or something? Then he'd take his hat up, pick up the Bible and says, the Bible is living. Now, it sounds corny, doesn't it? To him, it was living, and he wanted to preach. It's living, and people wanted to know what was living. So today, <laughs> they'd probably pinch his ass, you know. But to him, it was living. And I, as a young man, I heard that story maybe more than once, and it was living in that way. So the Word of God, forgive me, I've closed my Bible. It tells us there, first of all, the Word of God is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is the discerner of thoughts and the interest of the heart. The word discerner, the Greek word is to sift out the evidence. So the word of God sifts out the evidence. So if the, the devil came to me and said certain things, the, the word of God sifts out the evidence. 
That's fabulous. Fabulous. Recently, I just, I don't like gardening. I was doing some gardening and I was uh, sif- sieving, sieving some soil. Uh, it had lots of stones in it. And I just said to Kay, my wife, I'll just sieve that. I had my dad's sieve. It's all a bit of memory lane whenever I use it. I always think of him. And, you know, you put the, you put the soil in it and you shake it. And all the stones stay in the tray and all the nice soil falls to the ground and then you can do what you need to do. That's what the Word of God does. It comes to our hearts and our lives and I throw in all my thoughts and my ideas. God sieves it and says, look, that's a load of rubbish there, Gordon. But the good stuff comes through. What a lovely picture. And if we regularly read His Word, and may I say, if you've stopped reading your Bible, um, start again. Because I might ask you the next time I come whether you have. And I'm going to make you stand up and confess. No, I won't. But please, please read your word because the offensive weapon we have is none other than the word of God, which is uh, the spirit, the soul of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, in case you're any doubt that you need this, let me turn you, if I may, very quickly without any real exposition to the temptations of Jesus. If you're the son of God, you know, turn the stones into bread. If you're the son of God, jump down from this pinnacle. If you're the son of God, again, every time Satan came to Jesus and tempted him to doubt what God had said, Jesus used the sword of the Spirit. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And there's a lovely verse there, and I'm going to quote it in the AV, I think. It says, Jesus left, and Satan left him. Because there is no, Satan has no answer to Scripture. Let me say this to you. Scripture quoted correctly. You've got to quote Scripture correctly. The devil will know if you're twisting the Scripture to fit what you want to do. You need to quote Scripture correctly. And when you do, you have a sword that Jesus used to rout the enemy and to send him away. And on each of those temptations, the question was, Did God say, did God say? Well, we're moving on a little bit further on. The sword can keep the enemy at a distance. James 4, 17, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist him? Tell you what to do. Take the sword of the spirit and give him a good prod. Say, the Bible says, the Bible says, oh, you're not a Christian. Look at the helmet. Well, the gospel, look at the feet. Well, righteousness. No, you're not righteous. I have imputed righteousness from Christ, the breastplate. It's all there. All that we need for us to do this and all that God's asking you is to stand. I've been a Christian over 50 years now. Hang on, moving on, you know. And all he's asked me is to do stand, Gordon, stand. Now, whatever else I may have done, and I haven't done very much, as you may be aware, but if I stand and I keep the truth and I thank God for his salvation and the death of Christ, then I will bring glory to God. Better that than to fall away in that way. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I'd like to turn to, if I may, to Second Samuel 23, if I may. 2 Samuel 23. And there's a story there. And with this, I'm going to conclude. Okay? It's going to be in verse 10. 
There's a story in, and in fact, I mentioned this earlier. I can remember Wynne Lewis preaching on David's mighty men at a youth retreat we had in the Derby Church. I always used to say to him, if I went anywhere, I said, are you going to give us God's mighty men? And he'd say to me, I've got more than one sermon, Gordon, you know. It was a, a great teaching. And in it, we have a, a character there. It gives us a list of David's mighty men. And it says there that um, one, sorry, Eliezer, son of Donah, one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated, right? So the men of Israel retreated, right? But it says this, but he, this mighty man, it says that he stood his ground. This is what Paul is saying that we take our stand. That he stood his ground, struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the troops returned to Azar, but only to strip the dead. That's another portion. But it says there of this man, the other people fled, but he stood his ground. Oh, come on. What about that? You know, when I was a bad lad, there were fellas that would stand their ground with me if there was going to be trouble. There was others who were out the window. Stood their ground. And this man stood his ground. A Philistines, he stood there for God. And it says that he fought so long that his sword and his hand became one. It said frozen. The grip was such that almost you think, oh, he'd have to prise his fingers open. Maybe there was blood. I don't know. I don't want to go into the details. But it just says of this guy that he took his stand and all day long, and when it was over, you couldn't tell his sword from his hand. Do you know what? Wouldn't that be great if that was you and me? That this book was so much part of us that it became just second nature to us. Now, that doesn't mean to say we have to quote Scripture all day long. No, no. But when we need to, when the Philistines, when the enemy comes, we take our stand. Please fall in love with your Bible again. Please do. You know, you know we think to ourselves, don't we, with lockdown, I'll have more time to read and more time to pray. But other things flood in. Let me tell you, the enemy will make sure there's a dozen things for you to do. But may this book become very much part of your life. And it tells us simply that his hand and his sword became one. And my prayer is that we will put on the whole armour of God and if having done all, stand, and that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, might become so much part of us, we cannot be separated from it. Paul goes on to speak about prayer. Again, that's a separate subject in that way. So, in conclusion, may I say, Please, maybe not now, but some maybe sometime today, go through this chapter. Particularly if you haven't been able to be with us in the evenings, and that's not a complaint, it's just not always convenient. Go through and check whether you're wearing all the armour of God, that you're facing the right direction and you've got God's Word in your hand ready to repel the enemy. So as Jesus did, you'll be able to turn around to the enemy when he comes and says, well, did God say? You'll be able to say, not only did he say it, 
He put it in writing, and I'm going to show it to you. 